thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 178 of the best damn space sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, July 28th, and made available for download Tuesday, August 1st, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ken Shadow. I'm Ostron. And I'm Jeff. And in the audio booth this week is Henry. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, we check out Jupiter's big red spot. Next, we'll see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover the Cyclone Q&A and its variants in Star Citizen. And Frontier sells 10% of itself and then is going to expose themselves in Elite Dangerous. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Hey, you boys, see a carrier around here? Uh, Crypter, 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 this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. The nice thing about Jupiter is that it never does anything fast, so it isn't an issue that we're a few weeks late in this story. On July 10th, the Juno spacecraft, currently doing close flybys of Jupiter, passed over one of the gas giant's biggest draws, the so-called Great Red Spot. The flyby not only gave NASA scientists their most recent look at the storm, which was last surveyed by the Galileo orbiter almost a decade ago, it was also their closest. Juno passed over the spot at a height of 5,600 miles. The Galileo spacecraft had actually descended into Jupiter's atmosphere, but they weren't near the spot when they did so. Two interesting things came out of the preliminary analysis so far. First, looking at the storm itself, there seems to be a miniature storm cells within the spot that are rotating counterclockwise counter to the rotation of the overall storm. So the Great Red Spot is actually a giant storm that has smaller storms inside of it. Good luck getting homeowners insurance on that neighborhood. Second, the storm seems to be producing some kind of energy waves that expand and break against the top of the planet's atmosphere, significantly increasing the heat signature above the storm. When scientists do more data study, they're hoping to confirm a correlation between atmospheric turbulence like those storms and areas where the planet's atmosphere are heating up. The great thing about this particular research effort is that NASA is crowdsourcing part of it. They are releasing the raw visual data that Juno sends back to the public. Anyone who's so inclined can download the raw data and do their own image processing. The counterclockwise storm cell identification was partially due to a civilian's rendering efforts that was sent back to NASA. So anyone with some image processing power they feel like sharing Check out a link in the article, which will be in our show notes. You know, I, I love the fact that they're releasing the raw data. Um, I mean, I think they kind of have to now with all of the NASA regulations. But um, I think it's it's really cool they're trying to draw the public into the image processing. It makes sense, too, because image processing takes so much time and so many computer resources. If they can get other people to sort of take on that burden, it definitely makes sense. Well, I mean, there's a lot of... 
a lot of expertise that has to go into it, a lot of trickery to get the data out of images, right? And uh, there's lots of kinds of machine learning, but even if you use machine learning, you, you have to know how to, to build the network and, and things like that. And a lot of the exp expertise is out in the community and would, would love to do it for free. And there have been some neat images that people have just released for anyone to see and download, too. They may be less scientifically useful or not, but either way, they look really cool. 5,600 miles is close. That's really interesting. They found counter-rotating mini-storms within the storms. That's really cool. I haven't seen any of the close-ups yet. I'm going to see if I can grab one now. Uh, yeah, I saw at least one that was highly colorized, but 5,600... I tried to find information on how close Galileo came, but the Galileo mission was more focused on the moons, and then they crashed them into Jupiter. So I couldn't really figure out how distant they were from the planet when they actually went over the red spot like they were talking about. If they crashed them into Jupiter, it definitely got closer, right? Well, closer to the planet, but <laughs> not to the red spot itself. Those pics are really nice. I don't think I've seen those. Yeah, yet. that's on uh, NASA.gov. They've got a whole gallery full of pictures from the recent mission. Very cool. Red Scene or heard something that you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Your Star Citizen production schedule update for July 28th, 2017. Tasks that have crossed the finish line. Delamar slash Levski shopping kiosk implementation is code complete. Entity update component schedule 3.0 work complete will still be worked on up to and past 3.0 released. Cargo manifest app code complete bug fixing to follow. And for those lagging behind, the mission system slipped from July 24th to August 9th. The comm system UI slipped from July 25th all the way to August 16th. The Vehicle Customizer app slipped from July 27th and is joining the mission system on August 9th. Mission Givers and Entity Owner Manager were bumped from July 28th to August 11th. The Gemini L86 Pistol was supposed to be ready July 28th, but only slipped to August 2nd. And finally, Character Customization. Uh, the team has been supporting other features, so the date for that has slipped to a time that has not been specified uh, they're hoping to have a projection next week. As per the usual pattern, a concept sale started last week, so this week there is a Q&A and a feature in Around the Verse. Everything you needed to know about the Cyclone, or at least everything the devs are willing to tell us. From ATV, they gave us a little more detail than about the variants. The recon version, for example, that's the one with the sensor, can create terrain maps and drop beacons for others to home in on. Whether this ties in with the beacon system being dis designed for ships is uncertain, but the research badgers think it's likely. The racing version works pretty much like people would expect, with the ability to get short bursts like a mushroom in Mario Kart. They compared it to nitrous oxide, which probably made any car aficionado cringe and groan with frustration. They also answered our question about the anti-aircraft model's countermeasures. Apparently, they will have chaff and flares similar to fighter countermeasures, but the buggy gets two more options, a smoke screen for obscuring vision and even a small EMP. 
Whether the EMP affects the systems on the Cyclone, like the Avenger EMP system, is something we'll have to find out later. Moving on to the Q&A segment, their first question was, how can you haul it around? At the moment, the devs aren't sure of the final list of vehicles that can transport the buggy, but they do say anything that can haul an Ursa rover, such as a Connie, will be capable of loading a Cyclone. Based on the current dimensions, while ships like the Freelancer and Cutlass have the space for the vehicle in their hold, the way the ramps of the vehicles are positioned means the buggy can't physically drive into it. The buggy itself, by the way, can haul one SCU of cargo. As far as performance goes, the devs are aiming to put it between the Ursa and the Nox for pretty much everything. The Nox will be faster and the Ursa will be more stable. The lack of size or hovering engines don't even reduce its IM or ER signature. In the end, the main benefit of the Cyclone is the off-roading capabilities, where it beats every other ground vehicle so far. Interesting side note, the steering system can turn all four tires at once, like that trick the pre-Nolan Batmobile does on occasion. This Q&A actually had a new piece of information for the vehicle. It's got a shield! Someone pointed out that the open chassis meant a good sniper could have a field day picking off the crew, but the response was that it would be prevented by the vehicle's shield, which no one had mentioned up to that point. How strong the shield is and all the other useful details about it are not yet available. Despite the presence of the shield, however, being a passenger in this thing is even less worth it than we had thought last week. The ability for a passenger to shoot personal weapons is planned but not ready yet. Another thing that isn't ready is the entire buggy. Contrary to some assumptions, the Cyclone will not be ready for release with 3.0. Instead, anyone who purchased one will get a Lona Ursa Rover. So I'm really curious how they're going to do the shield on the vehicle. The shields in Star Citizen aren't spherical the way they are in, like, Star Trek, but they do still... I mean, every other vehicle that has a shield so far, it covers the entire thing, which includes the bottom of it, which isn't a problem when you've got a hovering vehicle like the Nox or the Dragonfly, but this thing has its tires in contact with the ground. So I'm curious what they're going to do to make the shields work in that scenario. I, I, I assume it won't. It won't. It would just won't matter. <laughs> I mean, it'll, it'll be a standoff convex hull, and that the uh, it just will ignore the ground for any collision detection. Well, that's the easy way, but is that really the way Star Citizen does things when you've got them worrying about rendering specific engines power across the whole model, depending on the shape and where those are positioned? I think Ostron's question is probably valid. It's just, will they ignore that tiny detail is the question, I guess. Well, my, I'm, what I'm wondering, wondering about the shield is when it's active. Because the way the ships work is the shield doesn't start up until you retract the landing gear and start picking up off the, the pad, right? If you get in the buggy and get, or get in or get out of the buggy, at what point does the shield stop, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Is it always on? Does you, you pass through the shield? Is it, is it different than the normal ship stuff? Or does the shield turn off the moment that you stop the buggy? Or does the driver have to get out for the passengers to get out and things like that? Or can you can you walk through the shield? Has anyone tried walking through a shield? I'm sure somebody's tried walking through an active shield in 
like arena commander or something, haven't they? Yeah, you're right. People can just pass through the shields, can't they? I, I think that's more of a bug though than a, than a feature. Because you can, if you have like a, um, even if someone's flying around, you can just go up to their, their ship, open the door and get in and shoot them. Or if you, if you can clip a little bit into the ship, you can get your gun right up next to them and, and shoot them from the outside. Okay, so that's definitely a bug, but we don't know whether shield permeability is a, a feature or not. Right, for people. Yeah, that'll be interesting for them to sort the, if they sort those things out. I think we're going to see it more like, if I remember the shields from the way the vehicle shields work, they are kind of close to the skin. It's not a bubble kind of thing. It's more close to the skin, you know, a layer, a, like a like an extra layer. Yeah. yeah, you see them. You see them flare when they when they go off in the game. Right, right. right. So I'm I'm pretty sure sure that shields are probably like kinetic and energy uh, sensing, and that's why they're they stop you know uh, energy beams and bullets. But uh, it, it, and we must have something in our flight suit that attunes us to the shield frequency and allows us to pass through. Talk about your sci-fi, you know, <laughs> crap. It's like the, it's like the personal sh- it's like the personal shields in Dune. They yeah, they stop uh, anything going a certain speed, right? Yeah. Okay, that was just pure speculation, guys. <laughs> the smoke signals and the chaff and stuff like that made me think of Knight Rider, though. So I need to I need a kit AI for my uh, my cyclone. For your cyclone, yeah. I'm I'm curious about the EMP. Mm-hmm. Um, it would make sense if it were like an EMP bomb that gets dropped, but I feel like that may not be the way they implement it if it's going to be similar to how it works with the Avenger. It's easier to stop a car and turn off a car than it is a spaceship, though, in my opinion, because you don't really stop in a spaceship. But yeah. in, in a car, it's just, oh, no, there's a the, the guy's about to strafe me. Here, stop real quick, hit the off button, hit the MP, right? Then you're done, then you can turn it back on. And the, the great thing about an EMP in atmosphere is if it hits another spaceship, then unlike an arena commander where they just kind of float away, they, these guys are going to fall out of the sky and, and, and crash, right? Yeah, but I'm wondering about that because the reason I was thinking it would make more sense as a bomb is because I have to figure the primary use for an EMP countermeasure would be to deter pursuers rather than trying to get a ship out of the sky because, I mean... Why, what would the range have to be on it for it to be able to hit a, sh- a ship that's strafing? I mean, at that point, wouldn't it just be another missile? I can't remember what the range is in Ring Commander, but it's like a kilometer or something like that, right? It's a, it's a significant distance. You still have to kind of get them in your bubble, right? You have to get up to them, but it's non it's non trivial. And uh, in atmosphere, it's even more so because you have. I mean, just for visibility engagement, especially with all the wads and stuff like that we're talking about, you have to get pretty close to somebody to shoot them in the um, from from atmosphere. But yeah, I don't know if it's specifically for anti-aircraft or whether it's for ground-based defenses too. I mean, you could, in theory, if like a bunch of um, turrets on the ground are firing at your vehicle, you could fire off your MP and take them out too. So it's not necessarily yeah. for anti-aircraft, but um, I can see it being useful either way. It may not have the same range as the Avenger either. The one the Avenger is like huge; it takes up the cargo bay. Um, right. It's not. This is it obviously is not as big as that. And they also do have E missiles or whatever the hacking missiles, but yeah, they're not EMPs per se. Yeah, another in the list of things we'll have to see how it's implemented. And I'm really though, though you know, 
uh, talking about the anti-aircraft stuff and the EMP and stuff like that, I, it, it really kind of um, makes me wonder what the level of anti-aircraft or air versus ground engagement the developers are thinking that we'll end up with. Whether they have Squadron 42 missions or something like that, uh, even in Episode 2 possibly, planned around these elements. And whether or whether they think that we're going to be defending lots of bases against uh, atmospheric fighters and, and things like that, or whether this is just they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall at this point. Yeah, they haven't really outlined a lot of the scenarios in which large-scale ground combat would be a thing, because I mean they have a gunship that is designed for, or they have two gunships actually that are designed for landing troops and have certain abilities that would allow them to provide close air support to ground units but they haven't really described scenarios where that will be necessary Um, i mean they suggested using the gunships to board derelict ships or stations but in that case yeah the gunship gives you great cover in a hangar bay but can't really do much beyond that so obviously they they have something in mind that would require a good number of people fighting on the ground. Uh, we just, apparent, unless we've missed something, we don't know what that is yet. Yeah, I mean, they have these bases they've been showing off. I mean, they showed off that that base and the mission in the, was it last Citizen Con? Or was it the one before that, where they had the freelancer drop off the dragonfly, etc., etc., and they ran around and shot each other and stuff. Or that was that was last game's comms with them. And they had a mission in that where there was like actually a significant base. There was a bunch of AI NPCs, or I guess what were supposed to be AI NPCs. And there was a lot of uh, fighting in that regard. And you can imagine that all of those could be players and uh, uh, you know, a large engagement around a, a fixed facility for some sort of a mission objective. They talked about the mission system a lot, uh, was it last year, last week, and about how they were going to give the same mission to uh, lawful and unlawful people. So you could imagine higher level group missions having higher level ground components and you could say you know bring your closest eight friends with you when you go assault this base and if you've got eight people assaulting a base what better way to get them all there than a troop carrier yeah but uh yeah it'll be interesting what where we're at in um you know a year or so after the pu goes out and they've actually sorted all these deals out our star citizen community question this week is any of the new features on the buggy sound interesting or surprising? Do you like our tracking of the development updates? Share your opinions with us. We'll tell you how in a moment. Proving that once again video game development isn't rocket finance, Frontier Developments, PLC, also known as Elite Colon Dangerous Comma Inc. period, has just had its ownership stake decimated by the Chinese. Well, I mean, they sold 9.9% of their pre-sale common stock to a games company based in China. Okay, technically, international gaming giant Tencent acquired 3,368,252 newly issued shares of the firm, which results in an ownership stake of 9% of Frontier's diluted post-sale outstanding share count for £17,716,870.46 sterling. Okay, maybe we do need to explain that a bit. Chinese game giant Tencent, who some of you may recognize as the owner of Riot Games, publisher of League of Legends, just bought a substantial minority stake in Frontier. From the press release, Jane Mitchell, chief strategy officer at Tencent, said, quote, 
Frontier's teams utilize highly scalable game engine technology, decades of development experience, and increasing sophisticated live operation skills to provide highly engaged players with complex and beautiful game worlds. We believe the gamers in China will become increasingly interested in game genres such as space exploration, theme park management, and other segments well suited to Frontier's strength and look forward to helping Frontier reach those future users." End quote. From the same press release, David Braden said, quote, Tencent is the market leader in online game industry in China and operating a premium PC game distribution platform, WeGame. This strategic investment will both help drive our scale up and improve access to accelerate our growth in the key Chinese market. Tencent will be a powerful partner for Frontier in what will soon be the world's largest market for entertainment. In a quote. So beyond just a simple cash for shares transaction, the statements by company executives seem to point toward a collaboration between the firms. Frontier will be providing some game IP and technology know-how, and Tencent will give Frontier access to the largest game distribution platform in China. But don't get us wrong, the cash is nice especially when you recall that FDev has committed to developing and publishing a game based on a super-duper worldwide smash hit IP yet to be announced. But, arguably, the biggest impact to the company wasn't spelled out. Our research badgers did a little digging and it turns out that the transaction will dilute the internal shareholders of FDev below 50%. Up until this sale, the company management had total control over the company itself. The issuance of nearly 4 million shares has dropped that ownership stake down to about 48.4%. Before this deal, management wasn't really answerable to minority shareholders. Now, if Frontier wants to make any major changes to its business, it will have to convince at least 1.6% of its outside shareholders that it's a good idea. That's not a particularly tall order in the grand scheme of things, and Frontier did more than double its cash hoard with this deal. However, it is a major change from having total control of the direction of the company reside with its directors. Now every minority shareholder, theoretically, needs to be at least consulted. And with a new minority shareholder is the largest video game company in the world, you'd expect that opinions might differ. So we'll see how it goes. Speaking of new and different things FDev is up to, this week they began selling tickets to the first annual Frontier Expo scheduled for October 7th, 2017. While the early bird tickets are gone as of this recording, some juicy morsels of information are still available on the Expo website. There will be guest speakers, exclusive panel sessions, competitions, and hands-on gameplay. Frontier will be showing off what's coming for Planet Coaster and Elite Dangerous, but what stood out most for us are these two bits. First, they state they'll be showing off what's coming beyond Patch 2.4, which strongly implies the patch will be live before then. Second, they're promising an exclusive look at the new title based on the Super Duper Worldwide Smash Hit IP. Maybe we'll see if our British research badger is busy that day. Lennon, can you be in London on October 7th? So has there been any speculation on what this new IP is? Anybody have any idea? They just keep saying smash hit worldwide IP. And I'm sure there's been speculation, but I don't but think there's us. been any sort Anybody? of... Not, not really from us, and as far as I know, there hasn't been any credible information that would hint 
toward any particular IP. It's just they keep pushing, they keep selling it, it better be awesome, you know? They keep pushing this smash hit worldwide IP. I wonder what it'll be. Personally, I'm going for an Austin Powers MMO. <laughs> you know what, honestly, I, I was wondering, I would like to see maybe a Stargate MMO, something like that. There's a... They've had that, though, and it but failed. It was terrible. It doesn't have to be terrible. <laughs> it could just be good. Well, they, they can make a good have... one. <laughs> yeah, but they already have a space-based MMO, so I I know Stargate isn't one hundred percent like space or space exploration, but it is sci-fi. They sort of already have an existing game in that sphere that isn't doing badly at all, and is in fact the only currently running MMO um, for sci-fi, unless you want to go with a particular IP version like the Star Wars. Knights of the Old Republic, but I mean, we can rule out certain IPs pretty easy. I mean, it's hard to imagine a an IP that's really big that doesn't have a video game that Frontier would get. Right. I mean, well, like it would have to be an. I think it would have to be an IP where there were or are older games that were one-offs that were not MMOs where the license has been sitting for a while. Also, the other problem, well, not really a problem, but, you know, since all of us currently on the podcast are Americans, we do have the problem of we're looking through an American lens. This says worldwide smash hit IP. That could very easily be like a Japanese anime IP that is humongous in... Asia and Japan and parts of Europe. Yeah, but that's usually, those are usually well covered by Japanese companies. But a Chinese company did just buy into Frontier, so it could be something from China's right. market. Well, no, I mean, the, the, the anime example was just, was just an example. There are like large IPs that are almost strictly European that we may not know a lot about. Well, then that wouldn't be worldwide then. That would be European wide. Well, it's a it's but, a it's an orphan black MMO. Uh, oh no. <laughs> well, we can roll out. We can mostly rule out the comics or DC and Marvel because they have their own franchising and IP, you know, a conglomerate going on. Um, well, it's I, not you know, it's not soccer because like FIFA's already the, owned. Yeah, FIFA. Um, that would be a world. That could be a world. Class as a worldwide. Uh, sure, but it's already been licensed up, and, and I I doubt they're doing a. Um, what's the only cricket? I doubt it's a cricket game. I was about to say the the video game cricket market <laughs> it hasn't really been tapped very, very. Cricket extreme. So we need. We definitely need to bring Lennon in to consult on that idea. So. Uh, on to the other thing, how much do we think it matters that they're only 48% uh, owners of Elite now? Do you think that they'll have to start conforming to what this new company wants to do? I wouldn't worry about the ownership percentage per se. I would worry about the fact that they are specifically saying here that we're targeting the Chinese market going forward. And as you may have seen with other games, the, the Chinese market is a little bit different than a lot of other worldwide markets in the way that monetization and um, and even play happens, you know, 
And uh, much like, you know, the, the Korean market's a little bit different too. And so when you launch, especially in the, those uh, niche, uh, I want to say niche is the wrong word here, those, those different Euro, um, uh, Asian markets that are different from the European and American markets, those kind of things have a way of trickling back to the other markets because such large things have to be made to the game. So you may end up seeing different monetization options going forward with Elite because of the way those markets work. Or you may end up seeing uh, a new content that has uh, those new markets in mind in some ways. And so this could actually affect the um, both the patch, patch schedule and um, which features are prioritized for patches and things like that. I don't think this is a power grab or an effort to redirect the company. I think it's just they want to be kept in the loop which makes sense because of what their aims are and by they in this case I'm talking about Tencent they wanted to be in a position where they don't want to tell Frontier what to do but they want they want leverage to be able to show up and say tell us what you're doing so we can plan for it that kind of makes sense they don't want it they which which just yeah which just means they want to be active in frontiers business they don't want to just grab a percentage of the company and then sit back and let their dividends buy money for them they want to know what's actually going on and they want to be involved which i think you know is could be a good sign i mean like kin shadow said having uh to take into account the Asian and particularly Chinese markets may actually affect some development priorities or release schedules, but I don't think it's going to represent a fundamental shift in how Frontier works. I, I, don't I mean, know. like, for example, I used, to, I used to play League of Legends way back. Like, I was... I, I played it pretty much when not exactly when the game came out but pretty soon after it and then i've dipped in and out of it over a number of years and tencent didn't own it originally but it was successful it was doing well before they bought it it's still doing well now and the core of the game hasn't really changed a whole bunch like there haven't been any drastic alterations in the game itself or the way it's updated or the way it's developed due to that purchase. I'd, I'd say League of Legends, though, is uh, was already in a position to fill the, the monetization changes that you would normally see in the Chinese market, though. Well, yeah. Um, I'm not sure Elite Dangerous is really, really there because right now what they sell on their marketplace is just cosmetic flair, right? Uh, you may end up seeing other things monetized there eventually. Yeah, let's talk about the monetizations difference with the Chinese market. You're talking a lot of lockboxes and a lot of, uh, of random things in packages. Like you get a pack that's got a couple of weapons in it. One of them is going to be guaranteed of a certain quality and the others will be uh, trash. But those kind of things happen in the Chinese market. Uh, yeah, yeah, or general, generally general monetization. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a full pay-to-win scheme, like some some of those online games are that are um, that 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 do uh, come from that region. Uh, but you, you typically they, they do typically expect to see a little more 
possibilities in 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 in, in uh, their pay monetization that affecting the game. I'm not sure that simply skins and stuff is is enough. Yeah, I just worry about the gambling model that it brings. Sometimes. That's true too. Well, but also one thing to keep in mind. A lot of those so-called gambling models are attached to free games that you don't have to purchase. That's true, but that's what happens to MMOs that have been around for a long time. Once they stop selling and have to transition to a, a different model to stay afloat, and I don't think Elite's there at any, you know, or anything, but I think uh, it's entirely possible it might be prep for something like that. And there are ways to do it that don't, like it doesn't have to be an either-or scenario. They can introduce the so-called gambling purchases without eliminating the the specific purchase ones. Time will tell, I guess. And this week's Elite Dangerous Community question. Are you concerned about the Tencent purchase of the Frontier State? Got plans to be in London in early October? Let us know what's on your mind. Details on how to get a hold of us are coming up. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Turbulent are beta testing a new version of Spectrum CIG's community interface suite. As of this recording, version 0.3.6 is in testing with the Abacati group. They are also working on a long-promised overhaul of the ship specs page. Descent Underground is now offering a free demo for a limited time on their Bright Locker page. So, if you have an urge to try out the game, you can do it for free. And Slipstream paint jobs have been released on the Frontier Store for the Eagle, Imperial Eagle, and Imperial Courier. Probably won't be a big seller because it's not like those ships fly slow enough to get a look at the paint anyway. I, I do think that uh, uh, Frontier did a good job of their, uh, their extras. Uh, uh, market, you know, they're not—they're not a whole lot of money, and and you can feel okay about purchasing something for your ship. Um, so I kind of like that they're expanding that. Yeah, I agree. I love buy, being able to just buy customization options. It makes me feel like the playing field is level um, when you're fighting other players. Nobody's pay to win, and I feel like uh, the things that you can buy. There's a lot of variety. I wish there were some more kits available. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the ship kits where you can actually get like spikes for your ships and things like that. Um, spoilers and things like that. Those are very cool. I'd like to see more of that stuff. I would too. I, I agree with you. I like that too. Also on the Descent thing, the if you go to Bright Locker now, when um, we had the show last week about that, there were three games on Bright Locker. Now there's a dozen games. Wow. And so it's uh, they're obviously ramping up a lot. And there's um, a lot of new features too so it'll be interesting we'll see where they go it seems like it's all all focused on games that are in development and they've added a, um, some features where like the devs will put up a poll and you can, if you vote on the poll in Bright Locker then you get some sort of badges or XP points or something like that in, in the Bright Locker system it's all about encouraging people to play and play and interact with people with games that are in develop active development, like Steam. Yeah, this definitely sounds like they're trying to capitalize on Steam's change to their early access policy. They're just going to grab everybody that would have gone there but 
are now worried about the limits. But isn't that going to mean they're going to get the stuff that's not good enough for Steam, mostly? No, because it's, it's not necessarily a matter of good enough. It's a matter of developers that want to have their game out there. They want fans to interact with it, but they don't think they'll be done in the time limit that Steam now imposes. So the the model that they're probably hoping to set up is jump on Brightlocker for like the first two or three years of your development. Then when you're ready, hop over to Steam Early Access and then ride that into a full Steam release. We'll see. If it helps clean up some of the mess on Steam, I'm all for it. I was, I was uh, getting pretty frustrated with some of the Steam Early Access. Seems like everything recommended is an alpha copy and some of it never gets done so i'm all for it i think they needed to clean up some now that we're all caught up with the latest news let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation okay buddy what's on your mind we're all friendly so let's just be friendly some say he studied heisenberg's kama sutra so whenever he's got the momentum he can't find the position and when he's got the position, he can't find the momentum. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. A recap of last week's community questions. First, are you concerned by any of the announced delays at CIG? Are you picking up a cyclone for yourself? What insect behavior are you most afraid of that Frontier might use as inspiration during the Thargoid invasion? And any other historical villains you'd like to see replicated in the bubble? Any ideas for pranks we could play on Frontier? Have you stuck with the Descent Underground? Where do you see the company farther down the road? Sean Newboy wrote in and said, Wonderful show, everyone. They should check the mask they are using. Probably just someone hiding some emergency candy or alcohol in it. No more worried about these delays than the last. Games always take more time. I love the Cyclone. Wonderful craft. Rather have one of those than the hover bikes. Uh, a friend called Pi writes in and says, Really good show. Some great information and discussion. I am not concerned about the delays in Star Citizen. 3.0 will be a foundation of the game going forward, and it's one to be done right. I am not buying the Cyclone, but that's for financial reasons. I already have a DF and a Nox, so I will wait until I buy the Cyclones I want in-game. Ken from Chicago says, About Star Citizen delays, not a fan. Especially the Squadron 42 delay that was promised for 2016. That all said, ultimately my feeling about delays are built on my expectations for MMO development. For that, I would look to Guild Wars 2. It's a sequel to Guild Wars, a fantasy MMO, announced in March 2007. Released five and a half years later, September 2012. Star Citizen's Kickstarter was made public October 2012. Five and a half years later would be March 2018. While Guild Wars 2 was breaking a number of rules in the MMO field, it was not doing nearly as many features as Star Citizen is attempting. Even so, I would say Star Citizen should be given at the very least until March 2018 before seriously ratcheting up complaints. He continues, For any other MMO, I would think that the very least the beta should be launched in five and a half years. However, with CIG's hyper-detailed universe, their definition of beta of feature complete likely is far more detailed than mine. I'm hoping significant PvE, missions, trading, mining, hauling, guarding, pirating, and fighting. Hopefully Alpha 3.3 and finally see the Carrick in action. Uh, no, no Cyclone for me. And for the Elite Dangerous question, mosquito behavior is what I fear. I hate them. 
By the way, about hive minds in sci-fi, sorry, Brian or Henry, but Ostron is right. Hive minds are common in no. sci-fi. Uh, he goes on to say, Borg and TNG, Bugs and Starship Troopers, Shaitari and the Avengers, Ultron's Robots, Aids of Ultron, Buggers and Ender's Game, Replicators and Stargate SG-1, Alley and the 100, and Human Beings, and we have Skin Cells, Muscle Cells, Nerve Cells, Organ Cells, Bone Cells, all governed by our minds. Where does your consciousness reside? When you're arguing with yourself, who are you arguing with? Think about it. All right, hold on, hold on. Let's let let's break this down. Ken's in chat right now. Hold on a second. Borg were a hive mind until they had a queen. The bugs and Star Troopers have brain bugs. I'm not sure I'd really consider that a hive mind when you have a dedicated thinking bug. I don't know anything about the Chitari. Well, well, Ultron, Ultron's robots in the Age of Ultron. I don't know about that, but they they're, they're robots. They were mindless drones. He even commented on yeah. the movie. I believe. The bugs in Ender's Game are not a hive mind. Every there's they have basically super intelligent queens that do all the thinking for all this all of the um, the underlings. They the individual underlings are not sentient at all. Uh, replicators in Stargate. Okay, I'll give you that one. Allie in the 100 is not a hive mind. Again, Allie is a super intelligence that was controlling all the humans and forcing them to do things. The, 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 the individual humans are not giving any brain power back to Allie. Uh, skin cells, muscle cells, that just makes no sense at all because our minds are a mind. You know, we don't, individual pieces of our mind do not have sentience under itself. I, I would classify a hive mind where each individual element has to have uh, near sentience and is contributing to an overall sentience. But then again, that's my personal opinion. I think all of his examples uh, match up with exactly what we're saying, where hive minds are depicted more as totalitarians, where you have a single target in the middle of it, which is the brain of it that you have to attack or deal with, while everything else is just a drone or a piece of it. You can see it on the part of the replicators in Stargate, but in Stargate, they actually did become, like, the, the replicators were forming full individuals, and those individuals were driving the other ones. So even they weren't really hive minds, or there'd have been no conflict between the different models um, that you saw in Stargate uh, SG-1. So I, I don't even buy them. I don't think there's a lot of hive minds at all. I stand behind that. Well, yeah, but, I mean, as a devil's advocate argument, by your definition, you can't have a hive mind be an intelligent interact. The original Borg absolutely were. The original Borg without the Queen absolutely fit that description. That's what I was saying in the last episode. Well, I think but the only no, then it then it falls apart. I mean, then it wouldn't be the Queen. Then that means the Borg were a hive mind for exactly uh, one episode. Two episodes. Because as, but, so, right. as soon as... If, if, the, if the Borg did not have a queen, I would consider them a hive Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. It's really well, just... They, how were, do you... they were a hive mind up until uh, Star Trek uh, First Contact. Yeah, when, when no, you no, have what multiple you units that are all... Can, can, I, can I finish? Damn it, no. You've already Go been ahead. called right, so we have to argue with you now. Yeah, well, what do you, what do, you do about Locutus then? Why doesn't he break the hive mind? Because the hive mind brought Locutus forward as the voice of the hive mind. The point was that he was trying to relate him to humanity, which is very individualistic. So they said, okay, we're going to bring this person here to speak for us in this situation. It's the best way to assimilate humanity. I don't, I don't, I don't think hive mind means you don't have individuals within the group. I mean that there is a well, but that was the that was the criteria you guys were using to discount. No, 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 all no, 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 those... no, no, no. My 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 uh, my criteria is a little, I think, a little different from Henry's. Mine. What I was saying was that 
there is an intelligence that is in the group itself. That's the hive mind. The problem is when you look at, say, this queen person, it's one person calling the shots and ordering everybody around. I think in a proper hive mind, like, like they, they do that in the Borg also, but there was like the, what is it, the, what are the rebel Borg called? They, they were just rebel Borg. They weren't yeah, given the, a specific the rebel Borg, right? They all fought together as one, right? When you talk to them, you're talking to all of them, right? When you're talking to the, the Borg, though, you're essentially just talking to one damn person, and that's the queen right. now. And that is no longer a hive mind. That's the same thing when you're talking about the buggers in Ender's Game. If you were going to talk to a bugger, it's really just the queen looking through the bugger's eyes. The bugger is not intelligent by himself at all. So, so and, and I, I looked this up after I, I used my example of the ant community, uh, where the queen is not necessarily the leader. She is part of the hive mind, but the hive mind all support that. Uh, they, they gather, they work, and they, and they battle all for the propagation of the hive, not for the propagation of the queen. So, yeah, so that that makes sense, Jeff, but that's that only makes sense because ants aren't sentient. So there is a, there's a class of intelligence, I could, I could say, that is in the hive itself, right? And it is basically every single ant in that colony is following a, an algorithm. And together, because each one has a different algorithm and they all kind of function with their environment, then it kind of works as an organism itself. And you're right from that point of view, it's a hive mind. It, it's not, they're not all contributing to a, a, like a full think though. It's more like a machine. I mean, they're more like gears. There's not really a mind there, you know, from, from the point of view of these things. I think in a classic sci-fi hive mind, they have to be thinking together as one, etc. I'll give you that there are some entries on that list that can be discounted as not true hive minds, but I think the definition can be argued a little more, particularly in the case of, like, Ultron. Sure, robots. Both both of the robot robot ones I give you, because they don't really have controlling intelligences. I don't know enough about Ultron specifically. Well, he's basically one AI distributed across multiple machines. Okay. So I don't know if that counts based on your definition. Sure, but I, robots I don't consider aliens. You know, I mean that that I mean that, well, that we was the, that, yeah. I mean that was that, that was I mean they're almost they're a class. There's a different class to them, but yeah, if those were organic beings, I would say sure they're they're a hive mind. The same would go for the um, I can't remember the aliens that are in Peter of Hamilton's Pandora's star, things like that, right? Where uh, in those books, it is a biological alien that copies its intelligence to all of its slaves. So that's really going to spread out like that. And that would be the same thing as that, but that's not a, it's not an alien. I mean, in this, in, in Ultron. Yeah. All right. We should probably move on. Brickwall goalie write in and said, terrifying insect behavior, giant dung beetles. And general feedback. When asked what he thought of our community questions, Rent-A-Spoon said... They seem very well structured. Well, thank you, Rent-A-Spoon. Our new patron this week is Commander Divorce Pop. Our random winner this week is the Mighty Hunter Nimrod 77. Grats. And this week's community question for Star Citizen, are any of the new features on the buggy sound interesting or surprising? Do you like our tracking on the CIG development update? And for Elite Dangerous, are you concerned about the 10 cent purchase of Frontier's stake? 
Got plans to be in London in early October? Drop us an email, a tweet, a comment on our show post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook. So how was the show? Was it as intriguing as the red spot on Jupiter, or are we more like a gigantic ball of gas? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. That brings us to the end of episode 178 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 179 on August 8th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over our Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space and podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some guard frequency goodies, and they're really, really good, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous Flight Group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us all over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pantad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. The flyboy Juno passed over the spot at a height of fifty six thousand miles. Uh, no, that's 5,600. <clears throat> oh. That's a bit closer. You're right. When scientists do more data study, they're hoping to confirm a correlation between atmospheric disturbance. I'd just like to say that disturbulence should be a word. That was great, Flub. Disturbulence. Loved it. <laughs> 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 Shut up, flyboy. <laughs> when asked what he thought of our community questions, rent a poot. <laughs> that was crazy that was crazy we've got a new title for the episode that's, 
<laughs> no, I don't think we do. No, no, no. <clears throat> wow. Mm. Let's make sure not to drop the S. <laughs> All right. All right. Hold on. I got to stop laughing. One sec. <clears throat> All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. The lack of size or hovering engines don't even reduce its IM or ER signature appreciatively. Uh, I'm not saying that word. Appreciatively. We'll just get rid of it. Move on. <laughs>